1 Corinthians 12, our commitment theme today is serving the church. So in both this hour and the next, we'll consider two different passages. Uh, This hour, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, in the next, Ephesians chapter 4. In this stewardship of people and property, uh, we recognize a call to commitment. We've studied the commitment to give financially to the church. We've studied joining the church, praying for the church. And now I want us to think through serving the church. And by think through, I mean with Bible in hand in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, We'll start in verses 1 to 7. If we have time, we'll press on. But I want us to study, uh, make observations, uh, draw some conclusions about serving the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, of course, this would be in light of what are known as the spiritual gifts from chapter 12 and verse 1. So let me read these first seven verses, uh, and then we'll, well, I'll read through verse 11, and we, I know you'll recognize a lot of 12 to the rest of the chapter with all the parts of the body, um, but let's focus on the first half of the chapter first. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the introduction to what we call spiritual gifts Those gifts then are designed so that the whole body functions well together. Uh, That's the vast majority of the rest of the chapter. You know, the foot doesn't need to complain about his role. The ear doesn't need to complain about his role. They all work together. In the Old Testament, the priests would gather for their kind of tour of duty. You know, they'd come from, Levites would come, whatever their order of the priesthood was. Um, they, They would come to Jerusalem and serve for their month time slot, filling all the roles in the temple. But those roles were assigned by the casting of lots. Um, Picture a couple of dice or something. Um, Drawing colored stones out of a bag, different ways that it was done. But those jobs were assigned by lot as a reminder, God is providentially assigning you your task and you do it for him and no job is more important than another. Though the cherished job was to go into the 
holy place morning and evening and put the incense on the altar to burn perpetually uh, and to pray there for the redemption of Israel. Uh, All the other jobs, though more menial, less desirable, uh, were supposed to be approached with the same spirit because God, through the casting of lots, had assigned those gifts. In the New Testament, uh, we don't see them assigned by lot, um, but simply by the Holy Spirit. And you heard that again and again, by the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. Um, So it's clear that you have your gift, and that is to be used in the service of the church. So the whole theme of this chapter is commitment to serve the church. It's not an option. It's just being laid out as here's what that looks like. Anything less than this is an unhealthy body. There, there's something wrong. Uh, there's, there's some kind of tumor growing there, or you know, there, there's some disease here. There's some infection, but ideally, all the body together, and that produces health and growth. So let's begin in verse 1 and just think through these verses with a twofold purpose. And we'll do the same thing in Ephesians in the next hour. Uh, I want you to be thinking, if this were kind of an assigned Bible reading in my schedule for this week, to read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 7, or a few other verses, uh, how would I think through this? What would I find here? How would I exercise my mind to, to take out of these verses truth about serving the church? Uh, some kind of observation that could be made. Uh, something that would influence my motivation to serve, my function in serving. So it's almost like you have a blank piece of paper and you're just going to start making thoughts about this paragraph that tells us we're gifted in order to serve the church. All right? So we begin in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. What observations can we make? got your blank paper. You've been asked to speak on spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12. Roy? If there are spiritual gifts, it seems like there are just normal gifts. And yet, some of these gifts sound very normal. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge. That's just somebody that has a, a practical outflow of scripture or knowledge So good observation. They're called the spiritual gifts, and we're thinking, okay, isn't isn't a lot of what we do a little bit what we'd call normal? Um, well, that's that's a good observation because in Paul's argument, he's even contrasting that spiritual with the pagan, and ultimately his point is, we're all spiritual. Like this 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 is who you are under the lordship of Christ. Um, you're functioning in this spiritual way. And so, in a sense, the normal is spiritual. Um, It would be abnormal for you not to be doing something to serve. Now, the serving may look very temporal, very earthy, not spiritual. You're thinking spiritual might have to be some miraculous display of a word of prophecy or something. Well, no, in, in all the ways that God has equipped you, be it 
gifts that we could kind of label with a Bible label from a couple of these gift paragraphs, or just any expression of love, any of the one another's that unfold. In serving the body, that is being spiritually minded. And so Roy's first observation was essentially, okay, there's, what's the difference between spiritual and just normal Christianity? And that's kind of where Paul is starting. Like the normal is yielding to the lordship of Christ and living in a way that pleases him. And we could look at the language itself and see that the word gifts isn't really even there. That's, that's supplied for us because of the language that unfolds in the rest of the paragraph, the spirit gifting us. So it's really just the spirituals, or we wouldn't really say it that way. We'd say now regarding spiritual things, regarding the spiritual life, regarding being spiritual as you're together in the body. Here's what it would look like to be unspiritual to be ignoring the lordship of Christ and his demand on your life to be part of the body and serve, then don't use your gift and don't be a part of the body. Um, But regarding spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. What about the second half of that verse? What's a warning or how do we think about that? Yeah, David. So there's this pitfall, perhaps, of thinking that even this language regarding spiritual things or spiritual gifts, it's mystical, it's out of reach, um, and, and at times, perhaps because we haven't really wrestled with an understanding of, of what's gone on, um, we do hear of the gift of prophecy or the gift of uh, a word of wisdom or the gift of healing uh, and we think, whoa, like, I, I, don't, I haven't seen that in my churches, so what's that all about, and who does that? And Well, that's a, that's a question worth wrestling with. Um, and, and I would suggest you start with the, the work of Christ and the miracles that he did. And then think, okay, why, why are we told that Christ did these signs? And especially if you go to the book of John, he wrote for one purpose— He took seven signs, he chose his seven favorites, or the ones that he thought fit the purpose, and he even documents them. He'll say, you know, he did this water to wine, and this was the first sign. And then later he gives a second sign, and a third one. And he he numbers these seven signs, not that they were the only miracles Jesus did, but he he was showing us clearly that Jesus is the Christ, the the Son of God. Uh, He wanted us to see who Jesus was. He wanted to unfold in these signs who Jesus was. They confirmed his identity and his message. Well, so it's no surprise then that when Jesus sends out the apostles to take this gospel to the nations, that in Acts, in Romans, in 2 Corinthians, and in Hebrews, we're told that the apostolic message was confirmed with signs and wonders. Clearly, those gifts that unfolded that we read about, the prophecy and healing and revelation and wisdom, uh, they were unfolding in a special way during that ministry of the apostles to confirm that message. So that if somebody else stood up and said, well, actually, I think this is true, and had no power to demonstrate the the veracity of their message, then, you know what, I'm going to go with Paul. Uh, I'm going to go with that 
prophetic word over yours. Um, and of course, by the time the, the apostles conclude their earthly ministry, we also have the, the, the canon of Scripture coming to a conclusion. And I would argue that those miraculous gifts, the revelatory gifts, ceased with the end of the apostolic ministry. That was their purpose, to bring God's revelation to us. Uh, so they're not normative for today. We don't have to be concerned about what we think of as the mystical or the supernatural gifts um, because we have revelation. We don't need more. Uh, and each of us has the Holy Spirit. We don't even need to be looking for some kind of great power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us through the Holy Spirit. So I would suggest stop looking for miraculous displays of the Spirit and see it at work in everyday life, resisting sin and living a godly life, uh, exercising the gifts that God has given to the church for the normative function of his body today. Um, So David's point, you look there and he says, Paul warning, I don't want you to be uninformed. Don't get caught up in, oh, what's this all about? No, let's keep it in the simple realm of it's as easy as you can find your nose on your face and your foot at the end of your leg, that's the kind of illustration that Paul's going to use the rest of the chapter. So he's saying it's not complicated. Do what you can do to serve people. I don't want you to be uninformed, he says. I don't want you to drift into ineffectiveness because you haven't thought on the truth of serving the body. So there's a warning there. comes in the language of being uninformed, and there's really no excuse for us to be uninformed it, it may be that the information is there and we just haven't wrestled with it. Uh, perhaps a laziness, perhaps uh, an immaturity in, in our faith. But here it is, Paul's saying, let's be informed and let's think through these spiritual things. Verse 2 and following, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what's, what's just something we can pull out of that? Because it almost seems like a detour. Like, okay, just, just get on with the spiritual gifts and life in the body. Why do we need to hear about pagan versus spiritually minded? What, what, what can we pull out of here? Um, one one observation is just that when you're being led astray by idols and then contrasting that back with that even just saying that Jesus is Lord is a spiritual act versus being led astray is, is ultimately an act of death going to something that doesn't speak that doesn't lead whereas the spirit does speak and lead and inform us as Christians I think going back to what you were saying before contrasting in many ways kind of the simplicity of this, that there's this base nature of sin and destruction, and this is where we're headed, and then there's a people who are alive and breathe, and people who are uh, spiritual uh, are going to confess that Jesus is Lord, and it's just kind of the path, that's how that works. So clearly, yeah, Paul's using the, that word contrast, um, Clearly, there, there is a life, it's spiritual death, of serving 
idols, led astray to mute idols, however you were led. However you got there, you, you were choosing to serve idols. Now, you're professing Jesus is Lord. And he adds on there that no one can say that except in the Spirit. So I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things. It's not a great mystery. You are saying Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit that is gifting you. So it's not some new topic, new idea. What? By the Holy Spirit we've received gifts? Sure. By that same Spirit you received new life. And by that Spirit you say Jesus is Lord. So just kind of sit back and enjoy this ride because now it's just saying, okay, now when I serve the church, it's under the umbrella of the Lordship of Christ. That's why I'm doing it because Jesus is Lord. His kingdom has come in my heart. So I don't serve idols. I don't serve myself. I serve him. And he says, feed my sheep. He says, serve my church. He says, I've made you specifically to meet needs in my body, so do that. Um, So this whole idea of lordship, what I am now compared to what I used to be is by the Spirit, and that same Spirit now is going to unfold in all these verses to come. Well, I'd, I guess I would kind of, uh, you know, in the old Swedish method that we've studied, you know, what other scripture comes to mind? And when you think of somebody saying Jesus is Lord, can you think of other passages that might factor in to help us think? Because to Roy's point, there are unbelievers saying Jesus is Lord. It's not that their mouths can't form those words, right? So what other passages can you think of where they do articulate the Lordship of Christ? He has risen from the dead, and he is Lord, and that's the confession of the person that has done the testimony of Scripture, that Jesus is the Christ. Right, the risen Lord. Where, where do we find unbelievers using the Lordship of Christ? Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, many are going to say in that day of standing before God, Lord, Lord. Did we not do all these things in your name? And frankly, we could just go to the 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, 14, see the spiritual gifts, you know, displays of ministry, we could call it, um, charitable work, um, even church kind of work. But the reality is they were not led by the Spirit to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That was not the fruit of the Spirit in them. That was not the evidence of a regenerate heart, a heart made alive. Um, so don't, don't be alarmed when you think, well, wait a minute, what, there are unbelievers that are naming the name of Jesus and such. Just know it's not by the Holy Spirit's power that's given them new life to do that. Many can say Jesus is Lord, uh, God the Son, died on the cross for sinner. You know, they can say all those things. But if the heart hasn't been yielded fully to Christ, then uh, Matthew 7 is going to describe their end. So those verses, oh yeah, go ahead. 
And then another way to, to look at people, in, in our culture, we wouldn't talk about pagan idolatry, but we do talk about a secular worldview. I mean, that's the mindset of the world as we see it today. Right. And so this is a contrast you know, between a secular outlook and a faith or a spiritual outlook on life. So John's saying we, we might not use the word pagan as much. If I said pagan unbelief, what would you think? Well, we had a missionary from Kenya come once, and I saw some pagan unbelief. And you think, wait a minute, do you, what we're seeing in our society today, in our culture, like are we really still going to accept that our culture is, you know, abiding by a Judeo-Christian ethic? I, I think we're, while pagan may sound foreign to us, we might use the language of worldview, uh, we might say humanism or something. Um, self is God. Just know those verses, they're not like a, a detour. Uh, they're very clearly driving at two themes, serving, who do you serve, and the spirit. Um, so those things are, are f- fundamental to Paul's argument here that you should serve the church in the body with your gifts. One, because now you do serve Christ and not idols, and you do that by the Holy Spirit. If you say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, then just hang on because that same Spirit's going to point you towards a life of loving others. All right, next couple verses here. And, and you can take observations from any of these. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What do we want to take here? What do we observe? Jonathan. Yeah. Okay, so one of the applications of that word variety that's in each, in the, each of those verses is your gift may not be, in the first century church, the revelatory gifts that were prophesying God's truth, preaching, the apostles traveling around, planting churches. In our day-to-day, you may not stand in a pulpit or teach in a classroom. You might not be that teaching gift that's highlighted in some of the public ministry, Um, but out of the Reformation, in the awakening of Scripture's teaching um, about living our lives under the Lordship of Christ and for the glory of God, was the doctrine of vocation. And that doctrine of vocation recognized that every believer, whatever they do, lives to the glory of God. It wasn't just the priests and the bishops who were the holy people, and then there were the riffraff, like all the commoners, and they came to Mass, and the holy people helped them to worship. No, the reformers recognized, no, everyone, everyone as a priest uh, worships God. And so in the study of gifts, one application is 
your gift is going to be different than mine and, and everyone else's, and, and you do what God has gifted you to do. And by that, in application, we're not only talking the spiritual gifts, but in, in your whole personhood that God has designed. We're all different, and you have your vocation proper, your job, and it may not be full-time ministry, but it, it, it serves the exact same measure of God's glory as the full-time ministry job does. So that, in the New Testament, we would read, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Serve the Lord and not man. Please him with your work and not your boss. Um, so be encouraged. You're, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you don't need to stand in a pulpit. Um, now, some of you may, uh, and God may point you that way, um, but that's his business, and, and you don't have to compare you to anyone else. All right, David, and then Daniel. Right. So don't miss the Trinitarian emphasis unfolding, not to teach the Trinity, but to help us understand the gifts in the church are related to the Father, uh, they're related to the Son, they're related to the Spirit, and they all have their function. Roy? Oh, and then Daniel. <laughs> the, the, um, uh, we want to talk about spiritual gifts being special in England in a band of ability, but it seems interesting here to me because gifts, kinds of gifts, uh, kinds of gifts, and kinds of working, which pulls it out of a specific giftedness into just doing, which may coincide with some sort of a special enabling in a band of life. Yeah, I think the use of the three different words reminds us that they're all sourced in God, and yet it just it breaks down maybe a, the stereotype in our minds that there's this, you know, a more spiritual presentation, like preaching would be this obvious gift, and there it is displayed. But then you see, well, wait a minute, the varieties of service, that, that's going to look a little more common perhaps, Activities, you know, sounds like you're playing wiffle ball or something, but I, I think in the keeping, and we'll see then in verse 7 that ties them together, any of those words, gifts, service, or activities, do have a target. There's something that that activity is steered towards. Uh, in verse 4, the gifts is what we would think of as the word gifts. It's a form of the word grace. So God's graces to us or his gifts are these sundry services and activities. So gifts, uh, varieties of grace that's given. There are varieties of service. That's the word deacon. Uh, so literally kind of household tasks, 
serving people, uh, activities is even broader and has kind of a mundane kind of meaning. Um, but the variety is what's emphasized and the origins uh, in our triune God. Uh, what else in these couple of verses before we get to seven? One other key theme here. Yeah, Daniel, or anything else you had before? Uh, well, I was actually going to say that two things. First, going back to 12.2, it harkens back to that first Corinthians 6 where it talks about such for some of you. And you can read a whole list of things that were done as it talks about what you were thinking. And I think it's interesting. Um, we have a unity in the spirit, but we have a diversity in the body. And through natural, I'm going to say, as that plays out, there's bound to be some level of contention in the way we express our gifts at times, uh, but the unity of the Spirit is still there, so there's like this push-pull um, kind of thing going on where um, the way somebody expresses their gift may be a little hard for one person to take, um, but it's the same Spirit that allows you to express your gift as well, and I think there's bound to be some, some points where we have to come to, I don't know, yeah, I think I think that's a great observation. Um, God's gifted you in some way. You thrive there. You're passionate about it. And then you look at someone else and think, why aren't they passionate about it? What's wrong with them? They must not be as spiritual. So hearing variety isn't just observation it becomes very informative to you regarding your gift. On one sense, don't sit there all timid and shy, like, oh, I don't know if my gift's good enough. You're essentially saying, I don't know if God's gift is good enough. So don't do that. Don't, don't compare yourself and think, well, I don't shine like that one, and so I'm not going to... No, don't do that. On the other side, it's, no, don't be so excited about your gift that you can't believe someone would be so unspiritual and not be passionate about what you love. So it really is, to use Daniel's two words, a unity of diversity. It's, it's a body. Like, your foot is not your ear. They function differently. They have a different purpose in their sphere, and yet one unified purpose, to make this body go. Um, and so when you read the rest of the chapter and you hear those kind of charges that could be made by one body part against another, you realize, okay, I'm being warned here to, to not compare myself, even whether that be disparagingly or arrogantly. Don't do either one. Just do what you were made to do. Uh, variety is, is a great word because you just realize, and, and we'll see it in Ephesians 4 in the morning study, we're unified around what is essential. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. Um, but how does that look? It looks totally different in every single one of us. Uh, even those that would kind of have the same gifts, maybe you, know, you find people that love hospitality, but they're going to be different. Um, so it is just a fool's errand to compare your gift to someone else's and wonder if you're everything you should be. Um, no, come here and just see... God has given these gifts. Uh, where do I shine? What can I do? What else? I saw hands on you. Uh, bouncing back earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, 17, 
25, which is only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And then bouncing down to uh, 21, where you have bondservants and called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord is a bondservant, is a free man uh, of the Lord. Anyway, it just continues with that same theme um, that uh, on 24. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Um, that there's not this theme throughout First Corinthians and elsewhere of that, to your point, of that there is some sort of higher calling to attain to, that really life in the spirit, that you are to remain where you are. Um, sure, you can better yourself in some way. But there's not this assumption of some sort of a higher plateau of life, but rather to reflect God's glory, even in slavery, to reflect God's glory where you are in, in that place. Right. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it, you know, if you're married to an unbeliever, you don't have to leave. Like, you don't have to change that. If, if you're widowed, you don't have to marry. If you're sing, single, you don't have to marry. It's like, stop thinking you have to get somewhere to be somebody or to please God. Just realize he's called you, and we read that in chapter 12, he's gifted you, do what he wants you to do now. Uh, don't think about, I have to do, I have to be, I have to get, I have to arrive. No, shine right there first, and God will get you where you need to be if you're in tuned to being what he wants you to be. And it's the same here with these gifts. Um, one element in verse 6 I don't want us to miss is that word empowers. It's the word for energizing. Um, these gifts are fueled by God or by the Lord, by the Spirit in these three verses. So think of this. The, the power is, is on, right, to this building. So if you went over to one of these outlets, you, you could tap into that power. So when we're not exercising our gift, when we're not shining in whatever our variety of gifts and abilities are, we have to understand we are, we are intentionally blocking the power of God. Now, I'm not saying you thwart God's plan and you know he can't accomplish his will because in your stubbornness you stood in the way. But just from the personal sense of responsibility... God is saying he energizes these gifts. They're made to work. It's almost like when you, when you go to the toy aisle, sometimes you walk by and the motion sensor, like the battery's in there. So the little baby starts crying at you or the little dinosaur roars or something and you realize, oh, that thing's on, like it's, it's working. You could carry that home and it's energized. You would have to take the battery out to get it to stop. The reality is in the Christian life, you are energized by God the Father, Son, and Spirit to be useful to the body at your conversion. Anything less than that is you intentionally thwarting that energy from reaching others, which you'll give an account for because God's plan was, I energized you for the good of my body, and you sat back and said things like, well, I'm just a shy person. Well, the triune God is going to say, no, that has nothing to do with who you are. We made you. And you were saying, no, I won't let that energy flow. So Paul's point here is, is, is weighty. He's, he's showing these people, if you say Jesus is Lord, 
then do not dare forsake serving the body because the Spirit of God, the Son of God, God the Father, they are energizing those gifts. They're powered. The power's on. The only way you can do anything but serve is to pull the switch and say, not going to do it. And that flies in the face of what Paul has said here. You're saying Jesus is Lord, but you're too shy to serve or you're too embarrassed or you don't think you're good enough. That, that doesn't sound like humility. That actually sounds like pride. Um, God's way is best. Let that energy flow. And then we come to verse 7, and he, and he summarizes it again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the gifts are not just empowered by God, but they are displays of God. They are the manifestations of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that is shining through in those moments. So we're common, or we're familiar with talking about like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and such. Um, and we understand, okay, that's the fruit that's supposed to be evident in our lives. We're supposed to demonstrate those things, but that is the Spirit in us. This is what it means to have the righteousness of Christ, both in our standing, justification, and in our sanctification. We are now able, by the Spirit, to live right, to demonstrate good works, to be loving and gentle and patient and under control. Well, here we're seeing that the manifestation of the Spirit, his, his fruit, His display, He will be seen in you when you are exercising the gift you've been given. When you're doing the service that you've been equipped for, when you're in those activities that you're made for, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit and it's for the common good. Uh, those four words are, are significant. Uh, generally, when spiritual gifts go awry, it's because we've lost track of those four words for the common good. It, it's not about you. And so Paul will often deal a blow to spiritual gifts uh, for the sake of the body. You know, it, it doesn't matter, he says, if you have a word to speak. If someone else is speaking, uh, let them speak. And if a couple have already spoken, you're out. We're not taking 10 of you to give us a word of prophecy. After two or three, he says, the rest of you are done. Table it for another time. You're out. What good is the word of languages or tongues if there's no one to interpret? So silence the tongues if there's no interpretation because that's just nonsense. We're not going to do it. Um, he, his point is we're not in this to shine. We're not in this to look good or look spiritual. We're in this for the good of the church. So mark those words, the spirit manifested in each of us for the common good. And then he just labors to say, given through the spirit, verse 8, the same spirit, the same spirit. On and on he goes, the same spirit again in verse 11. He just keeps saying that so that you will know when you do that act of service for someone, when you teach the Sunday school class, when you speak up and speak truth in your small group, when you go to somebody and 
you know, tell them you're praying for them or you send them a note to encourage them. You, you, maybe you just feel like that you're, you can do that. When you're doing those things, it is the fruit of the Spirit being manifest in you. And suddenly these things take on a significance. It's, it is a huge, like, spiritual victory. This is life in the Spirit. Um, we can easily talk about the bad weeks we've had and, oh, I was short with my spouse or, you know, I probably was just tired and a little bit lazy in the workplace, should have worked a little harder or, you know, just struggled with such and such a sin or whatever. We, we all know the feeling of guilt and we need to do better. We confess and here we go, let's press on. But I don't think we give enough attention to the little victories that are the work of the Spirit in us. When it pops into your head, like, oh, if I'm shopping, maybe I can make a little extra and get that to so-and-so who's having a hard time. Well, where did that come from? Where does that fit biblically? What Bible words do we use to describe the thought popped into your head to do something for someone? Because we don't find that, you know, and benedictions, maybe thoughts pop into your head as you go this week, you know, and like, no. But we will say something about the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Well, what, what does that mean? It means that something will unite you to somebody else in service, and that's going to be the manifestation of the Spirit. Let's, let's demystify these things, like Roy started off helping us see, and normalize it. The activities that you do that relate to other believers in this body and at times other bodies or believers you know around the country and the world. That is the work of the Spirit. That's the unity we share with them. Um, and it becomes pretty normal. Buying a little bit of extra stuff at Aldi becomes, to each is given, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, you know, re- replying to somebody's Facebook post, you know, your first thought was like, oh man, they're, they're always sharing their woes. And then you think, well, I guess they kind of have had a hard time lately. Hey, praying, you know, for grace to get through this. Well, yeah, probably wrong thought first, but you turn that around by God's grace and you encourage them. And you just said something that was speaking truth to one another. Uh, and that falls under to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You know, you bake the extra dessert for someone, give them a gift card, whatever it is, uh, just realize in this coming week, if you're really thoughtful about it, you, you, you might have more grounds for the work of the Spirit in your life than you realize. Um, I want you to be encouraged by that because there's plenty of time we should feel the rebuke of this. My gifts are to be used for the common good. I need to serve people uh, for the good of the church. But at other times, maybe we need to be encouraged a little bit, kind of inflated with the realization that this is going on and maybe you're doing it and you thought it was somehow just busy work or too mundane. But the doctrine of vocation, which Jonathan brought up, would insist there is nothing mundane. Everything in life is spiritual. Everything falls under the glory of God. So there is no spiritual stuff that I do for the church and mundane stuff that just happens and it has no consequence. Uh, so take heart. Uh, Brooks and Roy. So, uh, you and Kevin, you 
<clears throat> well, I'm interacting with somebody at work who is not a believer, but they still have these kinds of thoughts um, on a weekly basis or whatever, and you can see it. What is that? All right. There's the question. What do we do with unbelievers who are basically kind and charitable, gentle, demonstrate some kind of self-control, like things that we're supposed to be doing for the common good of the church and at times struggle to do, and yet we see unbelievers who demonstrate some of these kinds of kindnesses. What do we, what do, we do with that? Rory, a thought there? Yeah, I, I think somehow we have to recognize that being made in the image of God, though that is shattered and lying in pieces because of sin and the fall, you know, there's still elements of, you know, somebody, you know, an unbeliever in war can throw themselves on a grenade and rescue, you know, save the lives of their, their fellow soldiers. Romans would kind of say that. You know, even for a good man, some would dare to die. You know, unbelieving dads are going to take care of their families and, and, you know, take a bullet, do whatever. You know, we see that. And yet Paul says that that's great. You know, we can come up with that in these rare cases, so to speak, of heroism. But God demonstrated his love and that while we were sinners, he died for us. So I think it does recognize there somehow there is that image of God seen in, you know, whether we'd call it charity and kindness and love or in a display of, you know, bravery or manhood or in even the, the beauty of womanhood. We, we can see it in unbelievers, something that was good and right in, in its essence. Um, the trouble for them is that it's not counting as righteousness for them. You know, all their works are as filthy rags. Because ultimately, regardless of even perhaps lip service to religion or to God, God is saying, just like the Jews and the Pharisees of old, they were doing that as their own form of righteousness, refusing to see that only Christ is righteous enough. Um, But that's a good observation, because you have good neighbors, right, that didn't go to church this morning and don't seem to be surrendered to Christ. Um, but that gives us a place for that and understanding. I think you kind of see that those thought processes today, this whole thought of pay it forward. Yeah, everywhere, pay it forward. But what are you paying forward for? You know, it's like you're, you're showing your goodness in hopes that goodness comes back to you. But the whole thought process is, is, is foreign to what the Bible says. Right. Yeah, pay it forward. The GoFundMes, you know, unbelievers give in compassion to people. Um, So all these things, cries for justice, you know, people on the bandwagon against racism and all these things. And I I don't say on the bandwagon is a bad thing there. Um, Because there's something in them that does reflect God's justice and, and all these things. So that, that helps us think with a biblical worldview, not just inside the walls of the church. We do this for the church. That's why goodness exists. And then we go out, and your unbelieving coworker does something good, and we're like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Well, think down this path. All right. Yeah. In 
Right. As far as their eternal relationship and salvation, that that's immaterial as far as the good work. Yes. They're still liable to judgment if they don't confess Christ. So it's almost John's almost given us a safety net to think on. If if in the norm of the unbeliever's life there's a still a broken image of God kind of there being reflected, um, there's also the, the safety net of the Proverbs twenty one one. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So God can use any unbeliever to serve his purpose, right? We see him using the donkey in the Old Testament to talk to the prophet. He can use anything, anybody, uh, to speak that truth. So when we're using our gifts, I mean, we need to distinguish to people that this is not, you know, I'm not doing this for humanism or, because sometimes Right. My first, I would say yes and no. The no, we don't need to tell people what we're doing and why all the time. Um, and I would, I would lean on like Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, how that always unfolds, we don't really know exactly, but we just know a life of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit in me is going to be seen. I think the yes would be there are opportunities with unbelievers where they they might recognize that was really kind or generous or thoughtful or, man, thanks so much for helping and you're such a kind person. Or they say something and you think, you know, this might be a time to deflect that a little and just say, you know, having tasted God's love, I, you know, I just think I can demonstrate that. Or God's been kind to me and calls me to, to love others, and I could share more with you about that, but, you know, that's why I do it. And something that would just be that, you know what, they need to know it's more than just I'm the guy that loves nature, and so, yeah, I help out or whatever, you know, the, like you said, the common phrases and all. So, yeah, you don't have to live always telling everybody, I'm doing this because I'm a Christian, you know, and, uh, you know, the other day I'm walking through Walmart to get my low-salt Pringles chips to eat with pickles for lunch, and I stop there twice a week because the can goes fast. Um, and there was a bottle of, like, some, uh, like, Propel or something that had fallen off the shelf, and it's in the aisle. Well, you know, literally I could step over it and feel like a heel or, you know, just set it back right there on the shelf. Well, I didn't have to wait for someone to come by. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put this up for you because I'm a Christian, and... I think I should serve, and no, it's like it, 
hope somebody saw it on the camera, though, so they could... No, you don't have to tell people, but the reality is there are those moments where maybe after this conversation you'd feel awkward for, like, receiving all that praise from someone who's clueless as to why you care about people and stuff. Last two, and then we're going to start the next service. <laughs> Go ahead, Dennis. I was going to say that, um, you know, if you give a, cu- a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, yeah. you know, if you don't say something about this being important, yeah, that's great. then it's not given in his name. Yeah. It's just unspoken. So there, there is an opportunity if somebody observes some kindness or some goodness in you to say, you know, only by the grace of God or in the name of Jesus I do these things. Or, you know, even as awkward as that may feel, Okay, so the cup of cold water given in his name. Think on that a little bit. Very much in line with the same thing. That uh, as we, I believe, as we serve, as we just obey and yield to the Spirit and pick up the propel bottle or whatever it is, <laughs> that it, there's a congruence that occurs between what we say has taken over our life and the manifestations of living a life that is worthy of the calling of Christ in our day-to-day that speaks higher. It's not necessarily the picking up of the propel bottle. It's, in many ways, I believe it's the, it's the manifestation that God has worked in us and that, that being the spirit is taking over our day-to-day lives and there's a congruence that's been held by the world that says, you're different. There's something yeah. different. It wasn't just you picked up a bottle. I might have done that too. But in the way you spoke to your wife, the way you did this, the way you did that, yeah. it's what's powering you. <laughs> and yeah. Think of that living a life that's worthy of the calling of Christ. That's yeah. Good. So this week, the admonition is be mindful of serving. And then perhaps as you get better at that, you won't even be mindful of serving. It will just be keeping in step with the Spirit. You do what you do, and it's, it's Spirit work. So, Lord, uh, lead us down this path of serving. It, it is the path of becoming more and more like Christ, who served us, for which we are grateful. Uh, and so receive our thanks and our praise and our worship in the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen.